It is not my work, I trust for heaven, for Christ the Lord took my place. My sin that paid, I am forgiven, for Christ the Lord took my place. He took my place to face death. He took my place in punishment. His place now mine, my sins forgiven, assures me of a home in heaven. It is not my work, I trust for living. For Christ the Lord takes my place. He gives my grace the power for winning. For Christ the Lord takes my place. He took my place to face in death. He took my place in punishment. His place now mine. Take your Bible and turn to Second Peter chapter three once again. Second Peter chapter three. To continue on the subject or the theme of the second coming of Christ, what Peter calls here in this chapter the day of the Lord. 2 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to start at verse 10 and read down through the end of the chapter. Verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons are you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the element shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, Seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. 
Amen. Lord, as blessings this word, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this privilege and opportunity that is ours today to again to look into your word. Thank you that we have your word preserved for us in our own language, in the King James Bible. And Father, we pray as we look into the word of God, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, encourage us, uh, strengthen us in our, in, our, in our walk with you in the days in which we're living. And Father, we pray that you'd also challenge us, that we will continue to grow in the grace and knowledge, that we would be more Christ-like and conform to the image of your Son, and more better equipped to serve you faithfully until you come for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I titled this, Living in Light of the Day of the Lord. Just, you know, the subject or the theme of this chapter, of course, is the second coming of Christ, and particularly the day of the Lord, as he describes or calls it in verse 10. And he wants us, as I mentioned last week, to be mindful or to remember. He uses that word, those words several times, three or four times, that, that we're to remember, stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, verse 1. Uh, be mindful, verse 2. And then again, remember, uh, uses later on, he says in verse uh, uh, 9, or verse 8, be not ignorant. So all these things, uh, being mindful that he is coming. Uh, would be mindful of the word of God by the prophecy apostles, and that there are scoffers that he said there would be scoffers saying, "You know, where is he? You know, everything's just continuing on as it always has." Being ignorant of the fact that things are not always things have not always been the same. There was a worldwide flood when things were changed. Things have changed. Um, so they're ignorant of those things. They're, willing, they're ignorant of the Lord's timing, verse 8. They're ignorant of the long-suffering of God, that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But as we think about it, the day of the Lord, as, 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 as he calls it here, the day of the Lord in particular, it is a time that God, through his Son, will again begin to take back control of this world. Yet God's given that dominion to man. Uh, but he's going to take it back, and which will, you know, in a, in a, as far as timetable is concerned, which will begin will b- immediately follow the Battle of Armageddon. That will kind of be the beginning of that. Uh, Revelation 14 and 16 and 19 talk about that. We'll look at that a little bit more later. So as you think about a, a timetable, you know, we're living in what we call right now the age of grace, uh, or the age of the churches. And, and this will, of course, the next thing to happen on God's time clock is the rapture of the saints. That will end the age of grace or the age of the churches. Revelation 4.1, John says, and I heard a voice saying, come up hither. And you don't read about churches from then on. There are no churches from Revelation 4 to the end of the book mentioned. There is in chapters 1, 2, and 3, it talks about the churches. That's the day we're living in. So, and of course, you know, after the rapture, there will be the tribulation period, which is seven years. Uh, the Antichrist will be revealed after the rapture. We notice that in Second Thessalonians. He will be revealed. He'll make a covenant. Daniel 9, 27 tells us he's going to make a covenant with one week with the children of Israel. And this is really covered in the book of Revelation from Revelation chapter 6 to Revelation chapter 19. That's basically the tribulation period. There's some other things mixed in there here and there, but mostly that's what that's about. It's a time where God's going to chastise and, and bring about the redemption of Israel. His focus, again, is going to be on Israel, and the world's going to persecute Israel. And, and two-thirds of them will be destroyed, but a remnant will be saved. And so that's, that's really the purpose of the, of the, of the tribulation period. And the, of course, at the end of that, there's going to be the Battle of Armageddon, and then the thousand-year reign of Christ, uh, spoken of in Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. And again, this is the beginning of the day of the Lord. That's the beginning of the day of the Lord. And of course, after, after that thousand-year reign, there's going to be one... You know, again, 
Well, if you can imagine this, after a thousand-year reign of Christ, there's going to be one final rebellion. Satan's going to be loose for a little season. Revelation 20, verses 7 through 15, talk about the battle of Gog and Magog, and then the great white throne judgment. And then God will make a new heaven and a new earth, as is described here in these verses from verses 10. Uh, through verse 14. So, in light of the coming of the day of the Lord, he says, what manner of persons ought you to be? You know, we will, the, the conclusion is, we will have to face God, the judge of heaven and earth. You may think it's a long time off, but it may not be as long as you think. Now, if you're here this morning and you're saved, you know, we could face God at any moment. The rapture could happen at any time. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, it'll be at least 1,007 years till you face the final judgment. But you're going to go through that great tribulation period and you're going to have to stand before the great white throne judgment and be condemned for your sin. What a sad thing that would be to have to face God in your own righteousness which is as filthy rags so as we think about living in the light of the day of the Lord I want to notice three things this morning I have several sub points on these it says first of all the surety of his coming in verse 10 he says but the day of the Lord notice this will come Again, the scoffers have said, you know, where is the promise of his coming? You know, all things are, as, uh, you know, continue as they are. So where is But he says, the day of the Lord will come. Will come. That's a statement of certainty. You know, we often talk to people, many times, I'm sure you maybe have done this, when you're talking to people about their salvation, and you might quote Romans 10, 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If we, if we, by repentance and faith, call on the Lord to save us, he will save us. There's certainty in that. And this is a, this is a statement of certainty. Uh, he is going to come. And he's going to come, he describes it as a thief in the night. A thief in the night. Now, um, we all know what thieves are. The word night here has several definitions. It, it means time when work ceases, or times when there's deeds of shame done, or or it could be a time of moral stupidity and darkness. And it does not that, does that not describe our day in which we're living? A, a day of moral stupidity and darkness. We don't even know which boy is a boy, if he's a boy, if he's a girl, or if he's a girl, if he's a girl, if he's a boy, or you know, whatever that is. You know. We don't even know. We don't even know what marriage is. Because we've left God out. Of our lives. A day of moral stupidity and darkness. You know, it, it, the, the day of the Lord is going to take a lot of people by surprise. There's going to be a lot of people shocked. Now, we all know, everybody knows, everybody that's live on earth knows there are thieves around. Do we all not know there are thieves around? Of course, everybody knows there's thieves around. Uh, in fact, some of the biggest thefts are done even without uh, even. Quote, breaking and entering nowadays. It's called identity theft. You hear advertisements on the radio all the time about how to protect yourself from identity theft. The biggest theft there is in in the world today. But the attitude is, well, it'll be, what? Someone else. It'll be someone else. It won't happen to me. I know I maybe should think about it, but not now. That's called moral stupidity and darkness. That's why he's warning us. That's why he says, be not ignorant. You are not without responsibility. You will be held accountable before God one day. He has warned us that he is coming. He's given us the word of God, as he says in verse 2, the word of God, the holy prophets and the commandments of the apostles. They've all told us that he's coming. And so... 
we see here the surety. It is certain. He is going to come. He is going to come. I want you to notice, secondly, the severity of his judgments. Notice verses 10 through 12 says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, notice this, being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Now, there's some interesting wording here. As we think about the severity, and this, and I want you to remind you something. This is God's judgment. God is judging the earth. He's going to recreate the earth, really, is what he's doing here. But he's judging the earth because of man's sin. But notice some things here about this. First of all, there's a massive explosion. Uh, in verse 10 it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. A great noise. Now, I'm just going to describe some of this, and then, then we'll talk about it a little bit. But, but he, he describes it, first of all, as a great noise. So there's going to be this massive explosion. Uh, it, it says the elements and the elements, and the, and the word elements says shall, the word elements shall melt with fervent heat. The word elements means rudiments or basic elements, or in biology, it's the parts incompletely developed like an embryonic stage. So it's not, it's not, so it's the, it's the molecules, if you will, that make up the things themselves. Let's say, for example, water. It, what's the elements of water? Hydrogen and oxygen. By the way, two very flammable objects or elements. No, ob- elements. So he says the elements are going to melt with fervent heat. Um, And this word fervent heat, it's it's really one word in the Greek. It's used only, it's it's only used two times in the Bible and it's used here. It means, it means to do away with or to destroy. Now, think about a massive explosion, the elements melting with fervent heat. Uh, You know, think about all the explosives that man has made chemicals, all the petroleum products. You remember the Gulf War. Was it the Gulf War? Which I'm trying to, you know, um, there's the Gulf War and then there's, what's the other one called that we had over there in Iraq? Huh? Uh, Yeah, I guess that's what, huh? Desert Storm. Anyway, I think it was a desert storm. You know, they, 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 one of the oil wells got caught on fire. Many of them did. And there was, you know, just blazing fires. You know, there's oil wells in lots of parts everywhere across around the earth. And if God is going to scorch the earth with fire, think about all them oil wells just going up smoke. So all the chemicals, the petroleum products, chemical fertilizers. By the way, that's what they use to the... uh, what was that, uh, the federal building in, in, in uh, Oklahoma? That's what they used to blow that thing up. Chemical fertilizers. Um, not to mention the me- weapons of mass destruction that our militaries around the world have. Nuclear armaments and all sorts of things. And then, and then I add to that, the whole interior of the earth is a boiling pot of hot gases and fire, 1,500 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, and, if, and, if, and if God says he's going to destroy this place with a great noise and everything's going to melt with fervent heat, you know, this is a judgment. It's a cleansing of the heavens and the earth from the defilement of man's sin, all of man's grand accomplishments. Notice it says in verse 10 at the end of that, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. All of man's grand accomplishments, those things which he worships, 
Think of the things that man worships that are going to be destroyed. Environmentalists. They worship the trees, the water, the air, and all those things. God's going to destroy. The natural resources. Man's worshiping natural resources. Verse 10 says the heavens, and really that refers to the atmosphere, or the first or second heaven, not, of course, the abode of God. There are three heavens talked about in the Bible. But the earth and all the things that are therein are going to be burned up or consumed. You know, Exodus 12, it reminds me of Exodus 12, as you think about it, all the works of man and the things that man's worship that are going to go up in smoke. It reminds me of that, that, that God said he brought the plagues in Egypt against all the gods of the Egyptians. Joel 2, verse 31 says this, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned in the darkness and the moon in the blood before that great and the terrible day of the Lord shall come. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible talks about this in, in quite a few places. Hebrews 12, verse 25. See that refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. You have it. You know, Matthew twenty four thirty five says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. You know, the, the word of God is going to remain, but heaven and earth as we know it is going to pass away. It's going to be consumed. Look at Daniel chapter, chapter 2. Daniel spoke of this in Daniel chapter 2. And then the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel 2 verse 34. He mentions it here twice. Daniel 2, verse 34 says, Thou sawest till a stone. And, of course, he had talked about all the, the kingdoms. There. You know, he saw this great statue, a head of gold, and the arm and breast of silver, and then the thighs and belly of brass, and then the legs of iron, and iron mixed with clay. And, and of course, you know, the head of gold was Babylon, the, the silver was Persia, the brass was Egypt, and, and the legs and, so, uh, and, and feet are, are uh, Rome. All the major world empires that would rule until Christ takes the kingdom. And then he says this, Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold, broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And that stone, that rock that followed them was Christ. Look at verse 44. Again, verse 44. He mentions it again here. Verse 44, chapter 2 of Daniel. In, those, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. But it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountains without hands, and that it brake in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. You see, God is going to completely destroy all the kingdoms of this world and the elements of this world that have been defiled by man. Everything that man has touched, God's going to destroy it. It's going to even go into the heavens. Man is going into the heavens. He's gone to the moon. See, when God judges it, he's going to judge it completely. He's going to completely destroy the works of man and his sin. 
Then I want you to notice the third thing. So we see the he, the 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 certain or the uh, surety. We see the severity of God's judgment. We also have the security of the child of God. The security of a child of God. Verse thirteen to eighteen says, "Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness." Notice He says, "Nevertheless, we." Wherefore, beloved, seeing we are no such look for such things, be diligent that you may find of him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So the security of the child of God. And I want to notice three things about this. First of all, uh, our illumination or our enlightenment. In, in verse 17 he says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing Ye know these things before. Beware, lest ye also be led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Ye know these things before. See, God has illuminated to us, or enlightened to us, or given to us understanding that about these things that are, that are to come to pass. He has revealed them to us. We... we God wants us, as his children, to know what his plan is. Now, we do not know the day nor the hour when the Son of Man comes. We know what the plan is. We know what the program is. Or we should. He's revealed it to us. He's revealed it to us. Uh, look at First First uh, Corinthians chapter two, First Corinthians chapter two, First Corinthians two, verse seven. First Corinthians two seven. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So, you know, Paul's telling them, look, we, we understand God's wisdom, but the world, or the princes of this world, he's talking about the Pharisees there, and, and those that put Jesus, were actually, uh, did the putting Jesus to death, did not know, nor did they understand. Uh, or if they would have, they wouldn't have crucified. But he says in verse 9, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, Things which God has prepared for them that love them, love Him, but God has revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So He says that God, through His Spirit, through His Word, has revealed to us things that the eye and ear of the world have not seen, nor heard about. They have no clue. They have no clue. You see, when I look at the current events in the world today, you know what my conclusion is? God's fulfilling his word. Or you can even say it this way. Though, from man's perspective, they would not say this. They are just doing what God said they would do. That's what they're doing. God said all this would come to pass. God said there'd be an apostasy in the last days. Men would turn away from the truth. And that's what we see everywhere. Think about it. Even this election. I was listening to a sermon last night about the elections called the Continental Divide. This guy preached. It was very interesting. This is what he said. The evangelical group in America is 25 million people. It is the single biggest block of people in the United States. And the reason 
we lost the last election is because only 4 million of those voted. And he said, problem is too many of them just don't care. And they are ignorant of the truth. You know, God doesn't want us to be ignorant. We don't need to be ignorant. There is no excuse for ignorance. You know, we, we live in a day of knowledge. I mean, knowledge is everywhere. And the Bible says that knowledge would increase in the last days. And yet Amos tells us, I think it was Amos told us, that there would be in the last days a famine of bread. Not of the bread of eating, but a bread of hearing of my word. So though we have all this knowledge, yet we are turning away from the truth. You see, God has made it possible. He's revealed it to us if we're willing to see it or hear it through his word. Notice, notice Second Peter here, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, says, as also in all his epistles, epistle means letters, speaking in them of these things, talking about Apostle Paul, in which some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Why is it that some people are unlearned and unstable, and why do they rest the scriptures? Is it not because they don't want to know the truth? You know, Peter said in the beginning of this chapter, in verse verse uh, uh, 5, For this they willingly are ignorant of. Willingly ignorant. You know, I believe if you're ignorant today, it's because you're willfully so. So, there's our illumination. There's our expectation. He uses the word look or looking for four times in two verses, verses 11 and 12. Looking for. Uh, actually, I think it's verses 12 and 13. Uh, we use it four times. The word is nevertheless. It actually is the same Greek word translated look or looking. So, Here's what we ought, here's our expectation as God's children, here's our expectation, it's salvation. It's deliverance. Notice verse 15, again, an account of the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother, Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. So our expectation, what we're looking for is not the judgment of God, or, 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 you know, or, or uh, his destruction, we're looking for his, his deliverance, his salvation. Because that's what he's shown to us. That's what he's enlightened us with. Look at First Thessalonians chapter five. First Thessalonians chapter five. You know, in First Thessalonians four, he talks, he explained to the church at Thessalonica the rapture of the saints and what what happens when a person dies, and then and then you know they go to be with the Lord and so on, and their body waits in the ground waiting for the resurrection, which will be the rapture, the first resurrection, which will be the rapture, and and at that time, it'll be, it'll be resurrected and, caught, and we'll all be caught up. Those which are alive will be caught up. And then in, in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord, so cometh as a thief in the night. That's what we're talking about. When they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as a trail upon a woman or child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness. You're not morally stupidity in darkness in the night. Uh, but ye are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor the darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken are drunken in the night. 
But let us who are of the day be sober, be putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. And notice, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. So he's not appointed us to wrath. And, and when he says appointed to wrath, he's, he's making reference to the fact when he's going to pour out his wrath upon this earth. That's tribulation. He's not appointed us to that. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse uh, 8. Notice it says, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them who what? Know not God. He's not taking vengeance on them that know God. He's taking vengeance on them that know not God. God is not going to pour out his wrath on his own children. And notice, and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If if you've obeyed the Lord the, the gospel, you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're one of those that obey has obeyed the gospel, of Lord Jesus Christ. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and He's not going to take vengeance on you. He already has two thousand years ago. He took vengeance on you when He saw the the travail of His suffering and was satisfied. He placed your vengeance on his son. He took my place. He paid my debt. And God will not pour out his vengeance or his wrath on us. Praise God. Praise God. You know, Enoch. Enoch was delivered from judgment. He was rescued from judgment. He's a type of the Christian who will be saved from the wrath to come. Noah went through the flood. Noah is really a type of Israel. He's going to take them through the flood. He's going to chastise them. He'll bring them through. Remnant will be saved. But we are a type. Enoch is a type of the Christian. So, we, our expectation is we're looking for deliverance. We're looking for salvation. We all, all are also looking for a new heaven and a new earth. That's what we're looking for. That's, that's really what the context of the passage says. We're to look for a new heaven, verse 13, and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. You know, th- th- and again, this means that we will have our glorified bodies. That's the assumption here. If we're looking for, if we're going to live in a new heaven and a new earth, we're, we, we have to have our glorified bodies. Because uh, Revelation very clearly tells us in Revelation 21, 27, that, that nothing that defileth shall enter it. Now again, you know, again, you know, chronologically, as you think about a timetable here, you know, this new heaven and new earth is at least 1,007 years away. Now, here's why that is. Because, again, the next thing to happen is the rapture. Revelation 4.1. Again, churches are not mentioned from Revelation chapter 4 on. So the, the rapture will happen. That's the next thing to happen. But then there will be a tribulation period, and that's described in Revelation 19, or, or Revelation chapter 6 through 19. And then there will be the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 and 8. And then there will be the battle of Armageddon, verses 11 to 21 in Revelation 19. And, and, and the Bible says that, the, that the, the, the armies which are in heaven will follow him on white horses in fine linen, clean and white. And he says when he, when he describes the marriage supper of the land, he's gonna, he, he clothes them in fine linen, clean and white. That's us. That's us. So there'll be the battle of Armageddon where the, the Antichrist and his armies will be defeated and then he'll set up his kingdom. Satan will be bound a thousand years, Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3. Then 20, verses, uh, Revelation 20, 4 through 6 uh, describes the millennial reign of Christ and we shall rule and reign with him for a thousand years. And after that, 
Satan will be loose for a little season. There will be the battle of Gog and Magog, Revelation 20, 7 through 15, and the great white, which will conclude with a great white throne judgment. And all the unbelievers will be cast in the great or the uh, lake of fire, where the devil and the and the and the um, beast and the false prophet are. And then and then Revelation 21 says, "And I saw a new heaven and new earth." You see, this this is what Peter says we are to be looking for. That's our expectation. And again, I know it's at least a thousand seven years away. But we are to look for it. But think about it this way. The rapture could happen at any time. And if you're not ready now, you'll never see the new heaven. If you reject the Son of God now, if you reject the salvation he has to offer, you'll never see the new heaven and the new earth. No wonder Paul said, now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. So our expectation is salvation, deliverance. We're to look for a new heaven and earth, a new earth. But also, we are... While we're waiting, we are to be preparing. Notice verse 18 again. It says, and this is our preparation, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. He says to grow in grace and in knowledge. The word grace means the spiritual condition, according to Strong's, spiritual condition of one governed, by the power of divine grace or favor. Uh, he says in verse 11 that, that seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? See, our manner of life, as we're preparing and looking for that, that day of the Lord, our manner of life should demonstrate the working of the grace of God in our life. An example of that is in Second Peter chapter one, verses verse two says, "Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of our Savior and of, and of Jesus our Lord." And then verse five he says, "Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue and virtue knowledge." So, so by the grace of God, we're to add to our faith by His favor, by His grace. Uh, add to your faith virtue. Uh, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so we should be adding to our faith. Uh, we should be, God's grace should be demonstrated working in our life. Now somebody has said that God, through his grace, has brought us into the highest conceivable position we are seated or accepted in the beloved. But God continues through his grace to perfect us and impart to us gifts to serve him acceptably. Paul said this way in Romans 12:3, For I say, through grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according to as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Then verse 6, he said of that same chapter, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. And, you know, and he mentions different gifts in, in that chapter. Uh, then in, in chapter 15, verse 15 of Romans, he says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind, because of the grace that is given to me of God. And then there's that, the verse that I, I really like in verse, 1 Corinthians 15:10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's only by the grace of God. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly. See, it was the grace of God 
that, uh, that enabled him to labor more abundantly than they all, than all the other apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which is with me. See, growing in grace, as we grow in grace, it, what we're, we're allowing God to perfect us. You know, I like that verse in Philippians. Um, yeah, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. So when, when God saved your soul, he began to work in your life, and he's going to continue to work in your life to conform you more and more to the image of the Son until the day you go to be with the Lord. Yeah, there's none of us that have arrived. We're perfect now in God's sight. No. Paul said, I've not yet attained for that which I've apprehended, but I've pressed toward the mark. And as we allow God to perfect us, we are thereby equipped to serve him. That's growing in grace. See, God wants us to grow in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He wants also, us also to grow in the knowledge of him. By the way, I don't think, I think these two go together. I don't think you can grow in grace without knowledge. Knowledge is general intelligence or understanding. So we need, to, we need to grow in our intelligence or understanding of who God is. We need to grow in spiritual intelligence, in discernment. And we need to be diligent about this. Verse 14 says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Uh, we need to be diligent. That word diligent means to endeavor or to labor or study. Study. Second Timothy 2.15 says to study, to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, how are you going to be pleasing to the Lord? How are you going to be at peace with Him? How are you going to be without spot and blameless, as it says in verse 14, if you don't know much about Him? And if all you get, I know that doesn't sound very nice, but if all you get is what you hear Sundays and Thursdays, now, I'm not minimizing, that's very important. We're not to despise, prophesy, whether it's preaching or Sunday school teacher or whatever it is. But if that's all you get, your growth isn't going to be real great. See, you need to study to make yourself an effective witness and testimony for him. Again, notice in verse 14, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. So how are we going to be without spot? How are we going to be at peace with him if, if we don't know where God is on certain issues? If we don't know what his mind or will is? Can two walk together except they be agreed? And God doesn't change his mind, so ours is the one that has to change. Because God's always right. You see, we need to study so that we can properly apply the word of God to every area of life. You know, the world always says, well, the Bible's not relevant. It doesn't address the issues of the day. Really? I find that statement absurd. I think it addresses all the issues of the day. From marriage to the gender issue to, to, the, the, to the economic problems we have facing in this country to the issues with our military. It all, it's all in the Bible. 
and all the issues of the past. All in the Bible. The welfare problems. All in the Bible. Make slaves of them for seven years so they learn how to save money. They would get off welfare. Yeah, the problem is, we don't want to know. You see, God wants us. You know, we are. You know, Paul told the Rome, uh, those at Rome, when he's writing to the Romans, he said, those Jews, you know what, they're without excuse. We are without excuse. Because if we want to know, we can know. We can know. So the question is this morning, are you prepared for the judgment of Almighty God? Will God deliver you like he did Enoch? Are you living in light of his coming? Do you have that assurance? Is there something in your life that is displeasing that you should put off? Or maybe there's something that you should do that would please him. So are you living in light of the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord surely will come. It will be a time of severe judgment. But we can have security in knowing him as our Lord and Savior. Expecting, looking for his salvation. And for that new heaven. How is it with you this morning? Are you?